Well, we just finished a very successful VBS week, and it is our largest children's ministry single event of the year, and uh, I want to thank everybody who was involved in that. If you were a volunteer, won't you stand up? If you worked this last week in VBS, I want you to stand up. I want you to look at how many people it takes to do that. And we couldn't do it without those volunteers. Uh, I think it was around 130 volunteers each night that came out and worked with those children. A couple things before we start today. One is this, uh, Camp Calvary. It is the church's goal that every young person that comes to this church that attends here will spend one week in camp. And uh, summer's going you need the parents, you need to look at the weeks, and you need to get your kids enrolled, you need to get them registered. The church here pays half of the tuition, and if the other half's a problem, you can see somebody and we'll help you with that. So there won't be a financial reason that you can't put your kids in camp. Another thing is the Christian Appalachian Project. We're planning a mission trip to Eastern Kentucky August the 5th through the 10th. I'll be leading a team up into Martin, Kentucky. We've got 23 people signed up right now, and we've got some open slots. It's $350, and uh, Sunday through, you leave Sunday afternoon, come back Friday afternoon. And if you're interested, we'd like to have you join us. There's a sign-up sheet in the Welcome Center. And uh, I'd like to take 30, 40, maybe 50 people on this trip. And... Uh, it's open for you. Finally, one last thing. I've had people ask me about this for the last several years. Finally, we're going to bite the bullet and plan a trip to Israel. And uh, next year, in May or June, we're working out the details that we're going, I'm going to lead a team of people with some help from somebody over there, obviously. Uh, ten days, uh, ten nights, twelve days in Israel. We'll be leaving next May or June. That gives you almost a year to plan for it. It'll be around $4,000. It's expensive, but it's also life-changing. You'll never read the Bible the same way again. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, I'm going to be putting out a sign-up sheet so that people can at least voice an interest so we can make plans accordingly. And I'd like for you to pray about that and uh, see where the Lord leads. Last week, Peter and John. Last week, Peter and John brought laughing, leaping joy to the Jerusalem temple. Laughing, leaping joy to the Jerusalem temple. Last week, we saw clearly that God was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. There was a lame beggar that was healed supernaturally. And the question last week is where we'll start today. Who's doing this? It's not Peter. It's not John. It's not some method. God was doing this. God was showing up in the Jerusalem temple. We ended last Sunday with Peter under the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit proclaiming the gospel of Christ to the Jews in the Jerusalem temple. Today, the scene changes. Last Sunday, they're leaping and laughing and jumping and joyful, and he's preaching. Today, opposition arises. Did you know there would be opposition to the good news? Think about that, that sentence for a moment. Why would anybody oppose good news? That's why they call it good news. So I want you to think about what's about to take place as we pick up the Scripture today. Think about these two things. Did you know there would be people against, did you know there would be people against a lame beggar getting up and walking? Now who would be against that? Are they lame beggar haters? Who, who could be against the fact that a lame beggar since birth has now stood up and he's dancing and jumping and singing who could be against that? But number two, do you know there would be opposition to the resurrection of the dead into eternal life? 
I want you to just think of these two things because as we start today, people are against these two things. That a lame beggar is now walking and there is hope in the truth that there's a back door to the grave. You might go into the grave, but you can come out of the grave into a resurrection, into eternal life in a brand new body. Who in the world would be against that? If God was adding to the church daily those who were being saved, and that was the core scripture last week. If God's doing this, if God showed up in the Jerusalem temple, and he's doing this lame beggar healing, and he's adding to the church, him, not Peter, not John, he's adding to the church daily those who are being saved. I'm going to ask you a logical question. Then who is the opposition? Who's opposing the lame beggar getting up? Who's opposing this good news that there's a resurrection from the dead? Who would be against it? There are only two spirits. It's a core spiritual truth. You need to come to this core. There are no neutrals. There's only two spirits. There's the holy and there's the unholy. There's only two. And Acts chapter 4 opens with those who are being driven by the unholy spirit of Satan. Acts chapter, this next chapter, chapter 4, is going to open with a group of people who are being driven by the unholy spirit. They are against this healing of the lame beggar. They are against this message of the resurrection of the dead. Who would be against that? Acts 4 verse 1. Here we go. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed. That's putting it mildly. These spiritual leaders, these Jewish spiritual leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, through a man named Jesus, there is resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them. They arrested Peter and John. Since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. Now they are confronted by the priest. Confronted, Peter and John are confronted by the most religious people on the earth. I want you to understand the context. These are the most religious people on planet earth. And with that I give you a warning. Be careful of any religion that is absent of Jesus Christ any religion be careful of any religion that has a void where Jesus should be standing there are not many ways to God irregardless of what many people want to tell you today there are not many ways to God only one and I'm gonna tell you what everything else is everything else is idolatry anything that leaves out Jesus is idolatry don't be confused. Don't be deceived. Anything that leaves, any religion that leaves out Jesus is idolatry. Why? Because there's only two spirits. And the absence of Jesus is the presence of the unholy. Remember, this scene in Jerusalem is Jews among Jews. Gentiles don't come until much later in the book of Acts. They are practicing their Jewish religion at the Jerusalem temple. But they have formed two sides now. Peter and John have come in. There's been a healing. There's been a preaching. And there are two sides being formed. And I want to tell you what the two sides are. Are you ready? They are believers and they are unbelievers. There's two sides. The priests and the Jewish officials have heard the message of Peter and John. And by the way, Peter and John are both Jewish. And those who heard the message are also Jewish. They had heard the gospel of Christ. They heard the good news about the resurrection of the dead. And notice their specific concern. This is important. I want to repeat verse 2. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, through a single individual, through a single name, there's resurrection of the dead. Through Jesus, dead people are raised from the dead. 
there is a name and there is an event. The name is Jesus. Say it out loud. Say it out loud. There is a name that produces an event. The name is Jesus. They didn't want him to say that name. But what is the event? You come out of the grave. Who's against that? I could look a long time. You, you against that? Who's against that? This is good news. Right? This is good news. And the gospel's called the good news. But it offends the opposition. It offends the unholy. Why? You need, you need to ask the question. Why are those, why don't they just say, I don't care? Why do they have to oppose it? Why does the unholy oppose the holy? Because it's truth. And Satan hates the truth, and there's no room for truth in him. There's no room for, there's no room, there's no place in the heart of an unbeliever for truth. That's why they're unbelievers. Did you notice that there were Sadducees among the opposition? And the interesting thing about Sadducees, if you know anything about Sadducees, they didn't even believe in an afterlife at all. Why? Because if the Sadducees believed and accepted the truth of the afterlife, of the resurrection of the dead into another world, into another life, they would have to totally give up everything they've believed their whole life. And there's a whole lot of people that refuse to give up everything they believed their whole life because it would make their whole life seem meaningless. But what if their whole life is not based upon truth? So these Jewish leaders do what any opposition does. Same today. You know what opposition tries to do? They try to shut you up. But in this case, they shut up Peter and John by arresting them. But in some ways, in some ways, listen, I find this humorous because I know who's doing this. In some ways, it's already too late. The cat's out of the bag. They've already healed this guy. And they've already preached the good news. In the name of Jesus, the Nazarene, stand up and walk. It's too late. It's already out. But they're going to put them in jail. The good news is out. And it's hard to put it back in the sack once it's out of the sack. There's a lame beggar dancing around the temple. And what are you going to do with that? You doubters, what are you going to do with that? Notice the next verse. I told you it was too late. Verse 4, but many of the people who heard this message believed it. There you go. They believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men And that's not counting the women and the children. I told you it's too late. It's hard to stop good news. Did you ever notice that? It's hard to stop the spreading of good news. But it's only good news to people who believe it, right? It's not good news to the unbelievers because they don't accept it as truth. They have gone in this scene so far in the book of Acts They've gone from 12 people to 120 people, from 120 to 3,000, and now they're at 5,000, not counting the men and the women. And I'm going to ask you again, who's doing this? Is this Peter? Peter went and he took the latest study on how to grow the church. Who's doing this? It's not Peter, it's not John. God is doing it through the Holy Spirit. So let's pause. I want to pause in the story of Acts and come to our story today. This Wednesday is the 4th of July, 242 years ago. There was a declaration of independence and a new nation began 242 years ago. Who's doing this? There were people who risked everything, their life, their liberty, their fortunes, their sacred honor, to sign the Declaration of Independence. Are they doing it? And look at the Peter-John story. Was God going th- working through those people who signed that document? Absolutely. Absolutely. Was God working through Peter and John in the Jerusalem temple? Absolutely. But the question really is, who's doing this? Who's in charge? 
242 years later, who's in charge? God's doing this. And you better figure out who's doing this because when you don't know who's doing this, to stand in opposition of this when God does this makes you in opposition to someone very powerful. You better figure out who's doing this so that when this comes to your house, to your time, you're not on the wrong side. The person of Christ, the Spirit of Christ has entered into the people in Jerusalem and an unstoppable movement of God has begun. It's called the church. This church idea is not some man idea. It's not the work of Peter and it's not the work of John. It is the work of God. And if you stand against the church, the church is the body of Christ. You stand against Christ. Be careful if you don't know who's doing this. Yes, there is opposition. And the opposition is powerful. And the opposition is mighty. But I got some good news. But the opposition is not almighty. The Almighty is in charge of the church. Let's continue the story, verse 5. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. Notice it says the next day, which means they've been in jail all night. What was that like? I don't want to go on until you understand something. They've been in jail that night. All night, they've been in jail. What would it be like? Remember, this is all new to Peter. This is all new to John. They've gone from the high, the spiritual high, of watching this lame beggar dance to the low of spending the night in jail in one day. What do you think that did to their spirits? What do you think that did to their power? What do you think? Let me ask you a question. Do you think they're afraid? Do you think they're afraid? What would it do to you? Come, come on, let's, let's, let's make it right, real right now. What happens if you get put in jail because you talked about the resurrection of the dead and a name called Jesus, and they put you in jail? Well, that wouldn't happen here. Are you sure? What would you do? Peter and John have been taken from the jail cell. It's morning. Then they're brought into a room, and guess who's there? Guess who's there? The very people who sentenced Jesus to death are in that room. By name. Do you know? By name, the book of Acts lists by name. They're the same people that sentenced Jesus to death. And you think they don't know that? Peter and John, you think they don't know? These are the ones that put my Savior on a tree. And now I'm standing before them on trial. Verse 6. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples, Peter and John, and they had demanded, by what power and whose name? Don't miss the question. Don't miss the question. Who's doing this? By what power and by what name have you done this? The high priest is asking the same question that we did last Sunday. Who's doing this? I want to know who's doing this. Remember, these people just put Jesus to death and now they demand, who's doing this? By what power and what name? Please don't miss what's about to happen because it answers both questions from the high priest verse 8 then peter filled with the holy spirit peter filled with the holy spirit so that's not regular peter then is it peter filled with the holy spirit peter he says to them rulers and elders of the people are we being questioned today because we've done good deed for a crippled man do you want to know how he was healed? Peter doesn't seem afraid at all, does he? He's just got out of jail. He's standing in front of people who have crucified Christ, who have the authority to crucify him. 
And he doesn't seem afraid at all. Who's doing this? Who's giving Peter this courage? Who's making Peter so bold? Who's doing this? Now you got to understand, this is the same Peter that not too many days before stood in front of a, a, a single a person, a woman, and denied three times, even knew Jesus. This is a new Peter. Now he's brave. Now he's bold. He's also very smart. Do you think the Holy Spirit just makes you brave, but keeps you dumb? He also makes you very, very smart. The same Holy Spirit that's given Peter courage is given Peter wisdom. You know what he said? Have we been jailed for doing a good deed for this crippled man? Who could be against that? Let's take a poll. Anybody against that? No, nobody in this room's against that. Would you like it better if he was still crippled? He's very wise. Then Peter continues. Now comes the good part. Verse 10. Peter said, let me clearly state to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that he was healed by the powerful name. What? Listen, let there be no mistake what I'm about to say to you. Peter's got the Holy Spirit. He was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the Scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Who's doing this? What power? What name? Peter answers both clearly, and here's my point, and he is unafraid. He's calling them out. They called him out of jail to call him out, and he stands there and he calls them out. He's not afraid. He's not intimidated. Who's doing this? God's doing this. Then fisherman Peter does something that's going to amaze the Jewish scholars. He quotes the Old Testament Scriptures. He quotes specifically Psalms 118. Now how does this fisherman know so much about the book of Psalms? He quotes, Psalm, he quotes Scripture to the most religious people on earth. Huh? You're not qualified to quote Scripture to me. Are you? But there's one big difference. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say, because I'm finding it to be a social issue in the church today. You know what the big difference between Peter quoting Scripture to people who know the Scripture is? Peter sees Jesus in the Old Testament, and the high priests don't. There you go. You see, Peter sees Jesus as the fulfillment of Psalms 118. And all those other guys, they don't see Jesus there at all. When you read the Old Testament, do you see him? You see, to Peter, Jesus is the cornerstone. And to the high priest, he's just an unusable troublemaker. They can't see him in the Old Testament. The big question is this, how are they not afraid? When I read this scene, how are they not afraid? These men put their master to death on a cross about two months ago. About two months earlier, these same people put Jesus on a cross. And yet Peter stands there, former Peter was a wimp. Right? Some woman says, oh, you're one of those. You were with him. I don't even know the man. And now he stands in front of the same people and he proclaims the gospel, unafraid, unashamed. Come and get me. How? There's a great courage. Who's doing this? It's not Peter. How? In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writes young Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. God did not, you know, what, what did it say? Peter was full of the Holy Spirit when he speaks. God did not give you a spirit of fear. If you've got fear, it didn't come from God. If you're afraid to say Jesus' name, it's not coming from God. If you're afraid to tell the good news, there's a resurrection of the dead. It's not from God, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity. No, what did He give us? Power. Love. 
self-discipline. Let's keep going. It, it gets even better. Peter pulls out the big truth. I, I put it on a camp t-shirt last summer. Peter pulls out the big one, the big gun. What? If he hadn't already made them mad, he's going to make them mad now. Next verse. Verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There's only two sides. There's the holy and there's the unholy. This is your only chance to survive. I'm going to translate Peter's statement. He's looking at these most religious people on earth and he says you've got one chance, one name, one opportunity to survive this thing called life. It is by the powerful name of Jesus. And in this room today, let me tell you the truth. You've got one chance to survive. One chance. One chance. And there's one name. Jesus. Can you use your imagination a little and look at the faces of these highly educated religious men as they listen to fisherman Peter from Bertie, from Galilee, this country guy with no resume and no background to talk to us like this? Can you use your imagination as what they're thinking of this guy right now? How does Peter do it? Who's doing this? See, I think the church in America needs to wake up to the power of the church. The church in America needs to stand up and acknowledge that this movement of God called the church is not a movement of man. It is a movement of God. And here's why. Here's why. Listen. What's the difference between Peter that stands there and denies three times he knows Jesus and the Peter who now stands here in front of these religious elites and proclaims Jesus. What's the difference? Here we go, here we go. Jesus is inside of Peter. Jesus is inside of Peter. When it says that the, Peter was full of the Holy Spirit, Peter's full of who? Peter's full of the Holy Spirit when he confronts him. Peter's full of what? He's full of Jesus. When the church finally understands this, you know what? I think we can assume our role in the society. That the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when He comes inside of you and reigns inside of you in power and authority. Not on the outside, on the inside. He moves in. Do you doubt what I'm saying? Well, let's go back to John chapter 14. Jesus told them in advance what was going to happen. And it's not just for the apostles. It's not just for Peter and John. It's for you and I, if we believe. Here's what he says. John chapter 14. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you, he, God the Father will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive Him. Because it isn't looking for Him and it doesn't recognize Him. But you know Him. Because He lives with you now. Now Jesus is standing there when He says that. Because He lives with you now. That would be Jesus standing there with Him in a physical body. Because He lives with you now. And later He'll be what? Later He will be in you in you no i will not abandon you as orphans jesus has told them i'm leaving i'm leaving i'm gonna go to the right hand of the father but i will not abandon you as orphans i will come to you what i will come to you i'll be back i'll be back but not in physical body i will come to you soon the world will no longer see me but you'll see me since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, after the resurrection, you will know that I am in my Father. Here it comes, here it comes. You will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Somebody say hallelujah. I am in you. Then why are you afraid? 
Why are you ashamed of the good news? Who's against the resurrection of the dead? You want to argue with Peter? In that room that day, do you want to argue with Peter? Do you want to argue with God? You see, if you reject this truth, this good news, you are not rejecting Peter. Understand something. You're rejecting the one inside of Peter that's speaking through Peter's mouth. You're rejecting him. So how will they respond to the Holy Spirit-filled Peter and John? Verse 13. The members of the council were amazed. I love that word. You know why? They're not amazed at John or Peter. They're amazed at the one who's coming in outside of Peter's mouth, and they just don't know him yet. The member of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men. I like that. They're from Birdie. They're from Galilee. They're from nowhere. You're ordinary people. You're unschooled, uneducated. And yet, there's something about you that's different. They could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them, uh uh-oh, as men who had been with Jesus. Amazed by the boldness. Amazed by the courage. Amazed that these people aren't afraid of us. Ordinary men without Bible college. (gasps) Ordinary men never went to seminary. Quoting Psalms 118 to us. Then they recognized the root of this power. Don't read over it. They recognized these men have been with Jesus. They were branches connected to a vine. Listen, they were branches that happened to be connected to the vine. The vine is Jesus and power comes from this vine. Wisdom comes from this vine. Courage comes from this vine. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, yes, I am the vine. I'm the vine. Where's this wisdom? Where's this courage? Where's this boldness? Where's this truth? Where's this power coming from? It's from the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce fruit. Why? Because it's not you doing it. For apart from me, you can do... What's the last word? That's a nothing life. And if you're in the room today and you're a branch and you are not connected to Jesus' life, I'll tell you the truth. Nobody wants to say it out loud. Your life will mean nothing in the end. You will have accomplished nothing and you will mean nothing. And you will become nothing. Because you have rejected the only thing that is something. Does this still apply? Do you want to argue with God? It was several years ago. And I had a light bulb moment. That's the only way I know to describe them. It's this... that You, you, you read the Scriptures and through the Holy Spirit, you, you get this revelation in your mind. Here it is. When Peter and John are being called, read, read the Gospels, Peter and John are being called. Jesus is standing on the shore and he, and he calls Peter and John, Peter, Andrew, James, and John to come follow me. I'll make you fishers men. When, when that voice that called Peter and John, that powerful voice that called Peter and John is the same voice that lives inside of me. It's not a different voice. It's the same person. What he's looking for is some people who believe it. That's it. See, I didn't get a junior version of the Holy Spirit. I got the version of the Holy Spirit that Peter got. And there was a voice that called Peter and John. Come follow me and we'll change the world. That same voice lives inside people today. It's not a different voice. It's not a smaller version of the original voice. I believe Jesus lives inside of me right now, speaking through me right now. 
And let me tell you, here's the truth. The moment I stop believing that, I will become very afraid. Very, fear, very fearful of the world's opposition to this truth that we speak about the resurrection of the dead. Who's doing this? Do you want to argue with God? You better figure out who's doing this whole church thing. Because I'm watching the I'm watching the American culture become more and more and more and more opposed to the church. You better figure out who's doing this whole church thing because when you oppose the church, you're not opposing that preacher standing up front. You might think you're opposing him and maybe you don't even like him. But that's not the problem. The problem is who's inside of him? You better figure out who's doing this whole church thing so that when this happens, you'll know how to respond. Can people recognize that you have encountered Jesus? Because that was kind of the defining moment in the scene. These apostles stood there with such boldness and wisdom, and the, the elites, the Jewish elites, recognized that, you know, these guys have been with Jesus. When, when, when you're out in the world, do people recognize that you've been with Jesus? Can somebody who knows you for an hour know that you've been with Jesus? You're one of those Jesus people, aren't you? You're one of them. Are you ashamed of that? Do you try to cover that up, kind of hide that, kind of be in covert ops until the mission's clear? So the unbelieving high priest has Peter and John removed and he calls a board meeting. If everything else fails, call a board meeting, Right? Verse 16, what should we do with these men? Peter and John have been taken out of the room, and they say, what should we do with these men? They ask each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. That'll take care of this, right? That'll squish the church. We'll just tell them you can't use Jesus' name anymore. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to teach in the name of Jesus. Is that going to work? I guess it would be how you answer the question, who's doing this? If Peter's doing it, this might work. If John's doing it, this might work. But what if it's not Peter? And what if it's not John? What if God's doing this? You think God's going to be intimidated by their threats? I'm going to ask you a question. Would that threat work for you? If you had to spend one night in jail. Come on church, let's get real. Would that threat work for you if you had to spend one night in jail? They lock you up, put you in jail. They say, don't you talk about Jesus' name anymore. I'll let you go home. Would that work for you? See, I'm afraid the modern American church doesn't look anything like the church in the book of Acts. Nothing. Not even similar. Can you stop Jesus can you stop a Jesus-filled person from talking about the one who fills them? <laughs> I'm going to say it again. Can you stop a Jesus-filled person from talking about the one that fills them? Can you stop a person filled with hope and the resurrection of the dead into eternal life from talking about it? Can you stop a person that's found the cure to death from sharing the cure to death with somebody who's dying? Does that make any sense to you? Who's opposing this? There's a cure for death. Who is against the cure for death? Who's against the resurrection of the dead? Who's against this? You don't believe it. Are you sure you do? Believers and unbelievers. That's really what this all comes down to. Let's see if it works on Peter and John. I'm curious. Next verse, 19. But Peter and John replied, do you think, do you think, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? He's gone from bold and courageous to cocky. Do you think, do you think 
God wants us to obey you rather than him. We cannot. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Do you want to argue with God? Who's doing this? Their boldness and lack of fear is astonishing. Why? Because they do not fear death. Listen, church, they are not afraid to die. Why? Why? Because they believe in the resurrection of the dead. If you believe in the resurrection of the dead, why are you afraid to die? You know, it's real easy to say, I believe in the resurrection until death stands at your door. And then you find out if you really believe in the resurrection. They're not afraid to die. They do not fear death because they know that death has been defeated by the very name that they are told not to mention anymore. This is big. Do you know about this? Do you know about this? This is big. They look into the eyes of these people who put their, their master to death on a cross and they say, No! No! I will not! I will not be silent about this name. This is what changed the world. This is why 2,000 years later we're still doing it. This is what changed the world. This is what changed me. This is what's changed many of you. You will never be the same again. Who's doing this? Who's doing this? Church, who's doing this? It's God. Yes, there is an opposition. And yes, you might go to jail. And yes, you might even lose your life. But do you believe in the resurrection of the dead into eternal life? Jesus had already told Peter about real fear and today i want to tell you about real fear not the fear of somebody threatening your life there is something there is something church there is something to be afraid of there is something to be afraid of jesus makes it clear in luke chapter 12 dear friends don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body but they cannot do any more to you after they kill your body but I'll tell you whom to fear. Jesus says this. I'll tell you who to fear. Fear God. Who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. Back to the story. What are they going to do with this, these Jesus followers? What about these unbelievers? What are they going to do to these believers who refuse to be silent? What are they going to do? Verse 21. The council then threatened them further, but then finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot for, for what? What's happening? Everybody in Jerusalem is praising God. Cat's out of the bag. They're praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Can you stop him? This whole church thing. Can you stop it? Do you want to align yourselves with those who are trying to stop it? There are only two sides. There are only two spirits. There's only two choices. In the end, at the last day, there will be believers and there will be unbelievers. They let Peter and John go. God was doing this and their time had not yet come to die. Not yet. Their time would come to die, but not yet. Do you believe that? That they could not be killed until God allowed it? This is another big point today. They let them go. They let them go. They had the power and authority to kill them, I suppose. But they let them go. What? Do you believe that you, that you cannot die until God allows it? that He's in control of you, if you belong to Him, that you cannot die until He allows it? Do you believe that? Because I do. Do you believe that those who belong to Christ cannot die until He says it's okay, until He says it is the appointed time? In case you're doubting that, in case you're wondering where the scriptural relevance of that is, go back and read the book of Job. In the book of Job, Satan comes and he wants to 
test Job, and God says you can test him, but you can't kill him. Why doesn't Satan just say, I'll kill him anyway? Because he can't. Remember in the story, Jesus goes back to his hometown of Nazareth, and they, they want to push him over a cliff when he claims that I'm the Messiah. And he walks right through the crowd. Why didn't they push him over the cliff? They can't. Later on, they pick up stones to stone him when he says, I am. And they pick up stones and he walks right through the crowd. Why? Why? It's not time. Who's doing this? What power and what name? You better figure this out. Remember, there are now about 5,000 believers plus women and children and one formerly 40-year lame beggar who are believers in Jesus. What do you think Peter and John are going to do when they get released? i, I got to tell you, I love this part. What do you think they're going to do? They just got out of jail. They gather all the believers and they hold a prayer and praise meeting. I want to read it to you. Verse 23. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the... Uh, returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priest and the elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Here's the prayer. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why are the nations so angry? Why did they, why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. They're quoting, they're praying Psalms chapter 2. They lifted their voices together in prayer. They quoted the scripture, realizing the power of the word of God. Yes, even the Old Testament. It is not a stumbling block to Christianity. It is a revelation of the Messiah. They have no idea. Listen, those people in that room, those 5,000 people, they had no idea that they were presently being used of God to give us the New Testament. They had no idea that they were presently being used by God to give us the New Testament. That's what I'm reading to you today. God's doing this. They were living in reality. The spiritual war is real. And they are living inside this battle on earth that finds its origin in the heavenly realms. Look at how they identify their present reality. Let's keep going. Verse 27. In fact, this has happened here in this very city, Jerusalem, for Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. Who's doing this? God's doing this. Verse 29, and now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants, what? Re remove the persecution? That's not what they're asking for, is it? And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching, what? I'm going to hold it up. Give us boldness to preach this book. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They recognize the battle's real. They know the power and they know about the name. They know who's doing this whole church thing. Do you? They cried out for courage. They cried out for the word to come out of their mouths for the glory of God and for the souls of man. Give us boldness. Give us great courage to preach your word. And today, this is my prayer for the church that we recognize the war and we pray for courage to overcome the opposition. Give us the power, Lord, to preach the word of God under any and all circumstances. Give us courage, O oh Lord. And what happens next, I'm going to tell you, it gives me cold chills. Even yesterday morning, I'm going over all this in my office yesterday morning one last time, and it gives me cold chills again. I got cold chills. I ain't not even read it yet. What happens next? Verse 31. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook. Why? Who's doing this? 
The meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the Word of God with boldness. So today I close with my prayer for today, for this church. Lord, if you would come down and shake this place called Nineveh. Lord, if you would fill us with fresh wind and fresh fire from heaven. Lord, if you would open our eyes to the spiritual battle that lies before us and empower us with your very presence to overcome the enemy. Lord, if you would use us to reveal your glory to Lawrenceburg, to Anderson County, and to all of Kentucky. Lord, I pray today for great courage that we, ordinary men and women, would live under the unlimited power of Christ. I pray today that anyone and everyone who meets us, believer and unbeliever, will take note that we, too, have been with Jesus. I pray this today in the name of all names. Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, and our King. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. Are you a believer? I told you that in the end, it's going to come down believers and unbelievers. Are you a believer? Are you sure? Are you afraid? Would one night in jail... Would one night in jail shut you up? Because the reality is, I find out most Christians in the American church, it won't take one night in jail. It'll take someone giving you a scowl. Or some HR department saying, you shouldn't talk about that here. Would you listen to them rather than God, who has commissioned all of us to go and share the good news? Who would be against this? Do you know who's doing this? This whole spreading this good news? you know who's doing this? We're going to sing a song, an invitation song. Maybe today's the day that the Lord opens your heart. Maybe that prayer today is that you're going to join this movement called the church. To be filled with the Spirit of Christ. The invitation's open. Let's stand.